Hey, welcome to Jackson Square here in New Orleans. You should be standing in front of St. Louis Cathedral. It's the big white church with the three steeples. Behind you is a statue of a man on a horse. That's Andrew Jackson. To the left of the cathedral is a building called the Cabildo. Right now, we're in the heart of the French Quarter, the original center of the city. When French colonists first arrived here in 1718, this is where they settled. St. Louis Cathedral is the oldest cathedral in the U.S. And Cabildo was the government headquarters for both the Spanish and the French when they controlled the territory. This is the place where the Louisiana Purchase was signed in 1803, when Louisiana was sold to the United States. During the signing, a banquet celebrating the heritage and friendship of both countries was held right here and over 24 varieties of a local soup called gumbo were served to the visiting dignitaries and officials. You might wonder why they were served 24 versions of the same soup, but actually gumbo was the perfect dish to represent not just the two countries transferring power to the US, but all of the different cultures that made up New Orleans. The Creole French with their love of fresh seafood, the Cajun French with their meat stews, the Spanish one-pot rice dishes like paella, the Germans and their sausage, the enslaved Africans in okra, and the natives who had been here all alone with their powdered sassafras leaves and the use of the local game and plants. Gumbo isn't just a delicious dish, it's a perfect metaphor for the creation of New Orleans. Today, I'm going to share these cultures and their contributions to gumbo, and while we may not sample 24 different varieties, we'll taste some very delicious dishes from many wonderful cooks. I'm Chef Alfred Singleton, and I've dedicated my life to cooking New Orleans cuisine. I grew up peeling shrimp for my family's restaurant. I worked my way up from dishwasher to executive chef, and now co-owner at Cafe Sabisa, right here in the French Quarter. But I'll tell you more about my journey as we walk. Let's head out of Jackson Square. Turn around toward the statue of Andrew Jackson. Let's walk around it and toward the iron fence by the street on the other side. As I said, no two gumbos are alike, which is why they could serve 24 of them at a banquet and probably more. For those of you who've never tried gumbo, let me explain some basics. Most importantly are the thickeners. These days, most people start with a roux, a paste made from fat and flour, which must be stirred constantly, even after the other ingredients have been added, because if it burns, it's ruined. And trust me, you don't want to throw out $100 worth of ingredients because you forgot to stir the pot. You see the street up ahead? Exit the park through the iron gate with the four gas lamps. Turn left once you've exited through the gate. Keep walking on the sidewalk down Decatur Street. Some gumballs are lighter in color and flavor, while others are rich and dark. A lot of that comes from how long you let the root cook. This, of course, is a matter of the chef's taste. Another important thickening agent is okra, a small green vegetable brought here from West Africa. Historically, when okra was out of season, cooks would turn to filet, a spicy powder made from ground sassafras leaves that was introduced by the local Choctaw tribes. Some chefs prefer a specific thickener depending on what kind of gumbo they are making. Whether it be seafood, meat, sausage, or even vegetarian gumbo, it really depends on what's available and who's in the kitchen. Growing up here, everyone's family had their specific recipe that was handed down. And just like everyone's grandma, no two restaurants make their gumbos alike. 
In this spirit, our first stop for some gumbo is Two Jacks. It was established in 1856, making it the second oldest restaurant in New Orleans. They always have a great gumbo, but you never know what kind you're going to get. Because Two Jacks let each of their chefs make their own recipe. Some days it's an okra and chicken gumbo with a dark base. Other days it's seafood with a lighter roux. Keep walking straight ahead. Up ahead, you'll cross the street. Two Jacks is on the next corner. Stop here. Welcome to Two Jacks. In a moment, we're going to go inside. You're going to grab a seat at the bar and order a bowl of gumbo. Make sure to tell them you would detour and they'll give you $2 off. If you're here between service, you can still belly up to the oldest stand-up bar in the U.S. and enjoy one of their classic New Orleans cocktails. In fact, the Grasshopper, a creme de mint cocktail, was actually invented here. You're going to pause me to go inside. Once you're inside and you have your gumbo, you'll press play to hear more about Two Jacks. If they're closed, just stand here for a moment while I tell you about it. Now press pause and I'll meet you inside. In the 1880s, Two Jacks was owned by Madame Begay, and it was called Begay's. Back then, most of the ingredients came from the market that's across the street from this restaurant. At the time, the butchers in the market were working without refrigeration, so they had to start their day early and sell out before the midday heat spoiled their meat. Oftentimes, the vendors would start as early as 4 in the morning and be finished by 11 a.m. Hungry and up since 1 a.m., they would head here to Madame Begay's. Because the time of day was in between meals, she would serve them a late breakfast combined with a hearty lunch. This new concept became wildly popular with people getting out of church on Sundays who asked Madame Begay to stay open for them too. This service was the first of its kind and came to spawn the meal we now know as brunch, a weekend tradition not only in New Orleans, but all over the world. And it started right here where you're sitting. You can pause me if you need to finish your gumbo, whatever kind it is today. Press play when you're outside in front of the restaurant, and I'll show you that market I mentioned where those butchers were working up their appetites. With two jacks behind you, turn left and keep walking down Decatur in the same direction we were headed. Before we get to the market, I want to show you my restaurant here in the quarter. I grew up in the Night Ward, a few neighborhoods over from the French Quarter. Even as a kid, food was my passion. Instead of the playground, I was in the kitchen. My family had a Creole restaurant down there and I took every opportunity to learn. Up ahead, cross the street. You're approaching Dumaine. Keep walking down Decatur. I'll meet you on the other side. Keep walking down Decatur in the same direction. So as a kid, I'm spending time in the kitchen, learning how to season, saute, fry, and bake. But the family restaurant closes down, so I go off to get my first real job. I started at Baco, an Italian restaurant run by the Brendan family. They're a big name here in New Orleans food, and later on, I'll introduce you to Patrick Brennan, a friend of mine. I came on as a dishwasher, which is probably the most important job in the kitchen. Without plates, nobody's going to be eating anything. But being there, in the kitchen, you can soak it all up and watch the cooks and chefs do their thing. If you've got any downtime, they'll put you to work in your chopping vegetables and learning knife skills. I worked hard and took in everything anyone was willing to show me. One day, a line cook quit, and I asked the chef to put me on the line to prove I could do it. 
He agreed, and I took to it immediately. After working my way up through the ranks, I ended up becoming the chef at Cafe Sabisa, the third oldest restaurant in New Orleans that originally opened in 1899. Let's cross the street up here and keep walking down Decatur. Keep walking straight. Up ahead, you'll see a sign hanging above that says Sabisa Cafe. That's my restaurant. We're headed there. My family's tradition is to cook with the freshest ingredients. So like Two Jacks, I also do a gumbo of the day. Some days it's seafood, other times it's frog legs, depending on what I can find in the market that day. Stop right here in front of Cafe Sabisa. If you're taking the tour in the evening, in a moment, you can go inside and try my gumbo du jour. Pause me. Go inside and tell the hostess you're with Detour and would like to sit at the bar. Order a bowl of gumbo and press play when it arrives to hear more about the restaurant. If we're closed, just stand here for a moment while I'll tell you about it. Press pause and then unpause me once you're inside. Okay, you should be sitting down with a bowl of my gumbo. Now I call it the gumbo of the day, but that isn't exactly true. One of the most important steps of making gumbo is to let it marry. They have gumbo is good, but if you let it sit for a day or two, the flavors get real happy. The sugars and the vegetables and the proteins and the shellfish or the meat start to break down and the broth leaches into them. All of the flavors start to mingle. And that's really when the magic happens. The restaurant is my pride and joy. The building has been here since the 1800s. It became a restaurant in 1899. Rumor has it, there was a brothel on the second floor. Though I think every building in New Orleans has the same rumor. I ended up here in 1996 as a prep cook and was promoted to executive chef in 2000. I worked here until Katrina hit in 2005. While the French Quarter didn't flood because it's higher ground, we still suffered a lot of damage. The building actually shifted 9 inches. For a 185-year-old building, it was devastating. After the storm, the owner, Craig Napoli, was hoping to repair the structure. But it was going to cost a lot of money and take too much time, so he ended up selling the business. I left and went to work for another Brennan at Dickie Brennan Steakhouse as the executive chef until late 2014. When I received the call from Craig, he said, I think it's time we get back to Sabiza. We ended up going in on it as partners. We were able to finish the restoration and reopen in 2016. I love this building. It's got great history and I've got my own history with it. I had to end up back here serving the food I love. Go ahead and pause me to finish your bowl and meet me back outside and press play. If you're already out here, we'll just keep going. With the door to Cafe Sabisa at your back, turn left and continue down Decatur in the same direction we were headed. As I mentioned, a big part of what goes into gumbo, by intention or by necessity, is what's available at the market. Depending on the time of year, you may have just eaten gumbo with crawfish or seasonal vegetables. We're about to head over to the French market now. You can see it on your right, but keep walking straight ahead. The French market has been here since 1791, and it's the oldest public market in the country. This might have even been where the cooks for the banquet at the Cabildo shop for the ingredients to make those 24 varieties of gumbo. Cross the street ahead, and keep walking in the same direction down Decatur. Up ahead, I'm going to show you my favorite part of the market. While the market has existed in this location since 1791, trading in this spot goes back much further. 
The Native Americans who were here before the French also used this bend in the river as their trading post. The Choctaw tribe lived up near Lake Pontchartrain, the large lake just north of the city, and this stretch of the river gave them access to trade with other tribes passing through. When they arrived, the French settlers began selling their wares alongside the Choctaw, and eventually built structures starting with tents. Each new wave of immigrants who landed in New Orleans set up shop in the markets. While this is certainly the most iconic market in New Orleans, the city had over 30 others, and it provided an excellent place for cultures and flavors to mingle and cross-pollinate. This market was the largest, and it had grocers of every ethnicity trading a wide range of ingredients and spices. This really is where the rich heritage of New Orleans cuisine started to bubble in its pot. Keep walking straight ahead to the corner. Up ahead, we're gonna turn right and cross Decatur. Wait until it's safe and cross at the crosswalk. I'll meet you over there by the do not enter sign. Continue walking down the street. The French market is ahead of you. See the flagpole up ahead? Cross the street and head towards it. Cross the street ahead of you. Pass the flagpole on your left and walk into the French market under the awnings. You'll pass by several wooden benches. Go ahead and walk into the center of the market. Keep walking straight. Ahead, you should see a clay relief on an easel. Let's walk over to it for a better look. Are you in front of the clay sculpture? It depicts the market as it would have been in the 1800s. With its central location, the market sold everything that a family or a restaurant would need. That was a greengrocer, a butcher, a dry goods market, fishmongers and more. See the bunches of bananas hanging? There's a reason it's bananas there. See, back in 1899, you would have been surrounded by them. New Orleans was the main point of entry for bananas into the United States. Standard Fruit Company shipped them here from South America in the Caribbean all the way up until 1974 when they moved to Gulfport, Mississippi. The market was flooded, and if they weren't sold before they ripened, companies had to get rid of them fast to make room for the next shipment. Because of the cheap surplus of bananas, restaurants were always trying to figure out new ways to use them. This is how Brennan's, one of New Orleans' oldest and most iconic restaurants, invented one of New Orleans' favorite desserts, Bananas Foster. A mix of butter, sugar, cinnamon, rum, and bananas are set on fire tableside. It's kind of like dinner theater you can eat. Don't worry, we'll try some later. Now put the clay relief at your back. Look to the right. This side of the market has become more of a flea market these days, selling everything from jewelry to soap. Look to the left. This side is still mostly food. Let's head that way. As you walk through the market, feel free to pause me if you want to browse. As you walk, look up and to the right. There's a reproduction of an old drawing hanging there of a Native American woman selling filet right here in this market. Continue walking. The formal founding of the market in 1791 predates the first published mention of gumbo, which was in 1802. But it's likely gumbo was being made here in New Orleans before the market was even built. One of the main ingredients dating back to the beginning of gumbo is filet, powdered sassafras leaves. Filet dates back to the Native American trading post that used to sit on this very spot. Filet has a subtle spicy flavor, but more importantly, it is used as a thickener to make a soup into a stew. It's thought that the natives made their own version of gumbo using filet powder as a special occasion treat and served it over corn grits instead of rice like we do now. 
Some cooks skip using filet and just use a roux, which we'll hear more about later. On the left is the New Orleans Spice Emporium. The sign might be hard to see, but it's the store with lots of wooden shelves filled with small bottles. They actually sell filet here. We'll see more of this later, but pause if you want to check it out and hit play when you're done. Otherwise, keep heading down the center aisle. Turns out, the Choctaw word for filet was combo. Some people think this may be the origin of the word gumbo, while others think it's the Congolese word in gumbo. Keep walking to the end of the market. As you exit, you'll see a street in front of you and a continuation of the covered market. Cross the street and walk to the left of that building and continue walking. Keep the building on your right and continue walking. In addition to the savory ingredients in gumbo, like filet and okra, sugar has also been a big part of New Orleans trade and culture. The French originally planned to grow indigo here to produce an expensive dye, but settlers discovered that sugar cane grew much better and started to cultivate that instead. The 1804 revolution in Santo Domingue, now known as Haiti, led to the development of sugarcane as a major industry in Louisiana. Nearly 6,000 refugees fled to New Orleans, bringing their knowledge of sugar making to the area. Southern Candy Makers is ahead on your right. Look for the green sign hanging overhead. Stop here, in front of Southern Candy Makers. They make the best pralines in town. In a moment, you can go inside. But first, let me tell you about the praline. So what could the settlers make with all that sugar? Back in France, the praline, named after a nobleman whose chef invented the candy to help him woo ladies, was a popular candy made of caramelized sugar and almonds. While Louisiana was not known for almonds, we did have plenty of the native pecans. So the locals quickly adapted the recipe and created our version of the praline. And if you want the best in town, pop in here to Southern Candy Makers. They were actually named the best praline in the U.S. by Bon Appetit magazine in 2009. So, pause me to head inside and buy a praline from Southern Candy Makers. When you're back outside, press play and we'll continue. With the door to Southern Candy Makers behind you, turn right and keep heading in the direction we were going. The market has changed a lot since it was first built, especially since Hurricane Katrina. Before the storm, you could get fresh produce and other sundries. I used to run over to grab veggies if we ran out during service. But after the storm, anything fresh was unavailable, and so prepared foods took over the stalls. I definitely miss that aspect of the market. We'll turn left at the crosswalk up ahead. Use the crosswalk ahead on your left to cross the street next to you and walk between the buildings. Keep walking in between the red building on your left and the beige building on your right. Walk towards the set of stairs. Just before you reach the stairs, make a right to head down the alleyway with the building on your right. I'm going to pass you to my friend, Liz Williams, founder of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Hi, I'm Liz Williams, and we're walking down the Hall de Boucherie, or Hall of Butchers, if your French is a little rusty. The hall was built in 1813, and because of sanitation concerns, this market was the only place in the French Quarter where meat could legally be sold. Here, it could be easily inspected and would be safe for consumption. All sorts of meat was sold here. In addition to beef, chicken, and pork, you could have bought quail, duck, mutton, and even alligator. This variety of meat just shows how a single banquet dinner 
could have featured over 24 versions of gumbo. I have fond memories of my family making chicken and sausage gumbo with its dark roux. The rich broth would simmer so long that the chicken would fall apart. We lived in the city, so it was a Creole-style gumbo with tomatoes. The meat was sold here at the hall, and it was brought in from all of the rural areas around the city every day. Thanks, Liz. See the statue of the man in the hat and apron standing up on the left? Let's go say hello. Stop here. This is Jock the Butcher. Jock represents the immigrants who came to New Orleans and found work here in the French market as a butcher. Even though they may have spoken French, Italian, or German when they arrived, the butchers shared a language of skills, and that helped them succeed. Jock would have been one of the many men who found their way to Madame Begay's for brunch after his morning shift. But after World War II, the market saw a huge decline. People were now seeking the convenience of processed foods and the comfort of air conditioning that grocery stores had. It's a shame because the market was more than a place to buy groceries. It was a meeting place, a community center where everybody could gather. The statue of Jock is a great reminder of the people who made the market so special. Grab a picture with him if you'd like. Just open the camera feature in the app and snap a picture. You can post it directly to social media without leaving our detour. When you're done, just close the camera and I'll be waiting for you. Okay, let's get going. Facing Jock, turn to the right and start walking. Ahead of you and to the left, there's a fountain and a set of stairs behind the fountain. Let's head up those stairs. At the top of the stairs, you'll see a parking lot. Cross the parking lot towards the train tracks. New Orleans is surrounded by water, and this also influences our culinary traditions. Let's go take a look. Please be careful here. This is a streetcar crossing. Look both ways and only cross when it's safe. I'll meet you on the other side of the tracks. See the stairs ahead? Let's head up these stairs so I can show you where so much of our bounty comes from. This is the mighty Mississippi River. There are benches to your left and right. Feel free to take a seat while I tell you about it. Now remember, New Orleans is surrounded by water. In fact, we're in the middle of a swamp. And behind you, on the other side of the city, is Lake Pontchartrain. Frenchman Jean-Baptiste Lemoyne, Sir de Bienville, founded New Orleans in this spot because of its access to so many waterways. Liz introduced you to a wide variety of meat-based gumbos, but there is also a rich heritage of fresh seafood gumbos. In terms of that gumbo, all of this water produces some tasty ingredients. Fish like trout, drum, catfish, and redfish are plentiful in the local waters. And offshore, it is easy to pull in marlin or red snapper. French Creoles love to cook with these fish. Meanwhile, in the Gulf of Mexico, there are literally tons of blue crab and shrimp. And in the bayou, you can find crawfish or crawdads to go in the pot. The Cajuns, descended from French Canadians, who live in the bayous, love to put this shellfish in their gumbo. But it isn't just seafood this river gives us. The river floods pretty regularly and washes up rich fertile soil throughout the area. Our Creole tomatoes are famous because of how good the land is. And our strawberries are the most flavorful you'll ever eat. And those tomatoes can go in the gumbo. I'm not sure about the strawberries. I know I said it's open to interpretation, but that might be a step too far.
Okay, let's head back the way we came. Go down the stairs, carefully cross the tracks, and walk through the parking lot. Look both ways before crossing the tracks. Alright, let's walk across the lot and go down the steps ahead. Turn left at the bottom of the stairs and continue walking with the base building on your right. We're now heading toward the backside of Cafe Du Monde, a New Orleans institution that's been here since 1862. The cafe serves just two things, beignets, a French donut covered in powdered sugar, and cafe au lait, a special blend of coffee with milk. Their coffee is more bitter than you might be used to, and that's because it contains chicory, a root that was added to stretch coffee during the coffee shortages of the Civil War. Even after the war, chicory was still widely used throughout New Orleans, and even today, locals have taken to the flavor and the unique tradition which we like to hold on to around here. The beignet is a tradition that was brought to New Orleans by the Acadians, the French Canadians who migrated to Louisiana in the mid 1700s. Just up here on the right is part of the cafe a lot of people don't get to see. Stop at the window here. See the fresh dough getting cut into neat squares? They'll get thrown into that fryer, then covered with powdered sugar. This place is famous for a reason. Okay, let's keep walking in the direction you were headed. We're going to keep walking past the cafe patio on our right. If it's a busy time, you're probably navigating lots of people. Just politely push through the line if you need to. Take a right once you're past the patio and head toward the street in front of you. Check out everybody eating as you pass by. They're probably all covered in powdered sugar. All their sugar is grown and milled locally. Stop before the crosswalk for a moment. If you want to try a beignet, you can pause me and go inside. You can get an order to go, or you can come back later, because they make the perfect dessert after gumbo. When you're done, meet me back here, facing the crosswalk, and press play to continue. Let's use the crosswalk in front of you to head toward Jackson Square. Cross the street using the crosswalk when it's safe, and I'll meet you on the other side. Keep walking straight. Jackson Square should be on your left. Okay, back to gumbo. So after you've patiently stirred your roux, cooking it to desired color, it's time to add your base vegetables. In traditional French cuisine, this would be the mirepoix, chopped onions, celery, and carrots. But things changed when the French arrived in New Orleans in 1718. We can get any vegetable you want these days thanks to shipping. But back then, they were limited to what can be grown nearby. And the French sellers were disappointed because carrots were not one of those things. The waterlogged soil turned out to be really bad for root vegetables. So settlers found a substitute in the sweet bell pepper, which strived in our Caribbean-like climate. And that's how we ended up with what the locals called the Trinity. The Trinity is not only used in gumbo, but in countless other Creole and Cajun dishes like etouffee and jambalaya. Onions add bite, celery, bitterness, and the bell pepper add sweetness. And to make it even deeper, we had a clove of garlic that we called the Pope's Hat, forming the Holy Trinity. These contrasting flavors are crucial to building a complex and delicious gumbo. Continue walking towards the street up ahead. Cross the street ahead of you, Charter Street, and keep walking toward Muriel's, the Creole restaurant on the corner. Keep walking straight ahead. Keep walking past Muriel's, keep it on your right. Muriel's serves excellent Creole cuisine. This is a good time to explain the difference between Creole and Cajun because they are not the same thing. 
In New Orleans, Creole is used to describe the people of French, Spanish, Caribbean, and African descent who were born in the city. People often distinguish each of these lineages even further. For example, French Creole for European descent or Louisiana Creole for those of mixed ancestry. Because of the variety of cultural influences, Creole cuisine incorporates an array of ingredients including the tomato, which is not typical of Cajun cooking. The Cajuns are descendants of the Acadians, the French Canadians who brought the beignets to us. After the British took control of the French colonies in Canada, the Acadians migrated south and ended up settling in the countryside of South Louisiana, where they were surrounded by swamps, bayous, and prairies. And without modern-day luxuries, they made use of everything they had available, which explains why Cajun cooking is typically more rustic and hardier than Creole cuisine. Keep walking ahead to the corner. Up ahead is Royal Street. Turn left and cross the street. Continue walking down Royal Street. Keep walking. Remember, city markets gave way to privately owned groceries. Well, that's our next stop. Rouse's Grocery, family owned since 1960. By the way, Royal Street, where we're walking now, was one of the city's first business thoroughfares, and it's still busy. From 11 to 4 each day, the street turns into a pedestrian mall. If you're walking during this time, the street is probably filled with artists and musicians. That's the way we like things around here. Up ahead on the right side of the street, you should see Rouse's. The store we're going into has been selling groceries since 1930, although it's only been a Rouse's since 2007. The Rouse's family is from Homer, a town about an hour southwest of New Orleans, one of the places the Acadians settled and they specialize in Cajun ingredients like andouille and boudin sausages and other kinds of hardy ingredients you find in a typical Cajun gumbo. We'll cross at the corner and head inside to see some of the authentic Cajun ingredients that they sell. These stores are part of the city's character and it's nice to know you're shopping locally. You'll probably have to navigate a crowd listening to the street performers. Remember, they work for tips, so if you stop to enjoy the music, be sure to show them some gratitude. At the corner, turn right and cross the street. Stop in front of Rouse's. Okay, in a moment, we'll go inside. It's a busy store, but don't worry. I'll help navigate. So, pull open the door and make an immediate right to walk down the aisle. Walk past the cashier on the left and stop to look at the shelves on your left. These should be filled with things to make gumbo, Creole and Cajun seasonings, and filet. It's spelled F. I-L-E. Should be in a skinny red top bottle on the third shelf down. It's a light brown, greenish powder next to the steams. Can you see it? Check out the ingredients. Just sassafras leaves. Crazy how important that one leaf can be. Okay, head to the end of the aisle and turn left past the produce. Walk all the way down the corridor towards the meat counter. If you don't see okra in the produce, it might be out of season. Okra grows in the summer, and that's why winter gumbos use filet instead. Keep walking. Have you reached the end? Well, just before the meat and cheese counter, look to your right, and you'll see Rouse's own specially made Cajun meats. Boudin is a pork and rice sausage typically of the Cajuns in the bayou, and andouille is a pork-based sausage typically found in gumbo comes from the Cajuns who live by the river. 
Here in New Orleans, when you go grocery shopping, you say you're making groceries. That's a holdover from the literal translation of the French phrase, faire les courses. If you want to make some groceries, pause me and purchase anything you'd like to try. When you're ready to get going, head outside and then press play. With Rouse's entrance behind you, look to the right. You'll see a pink building with a store called Fisher Gambino. Cross towards it, then turn right and continue walking down the street. During slavery, European Creole traditions changed when Africans were brought here, sometimes by way of the Caribbean. This brings me to okra, the final thickening agent in gumbo, and most likely the origin of the name gumbo itself. The Bantu word for okra is in gumbo, spelled N-G-O-M-B-O. In gumbo, or okra was a staple of the West African communities that were taken captive and brought to New Orleans in the 18th and 19th centuries. These Africans soon discovered that Louisiana was an ideal climate to grow the vegetable, and okra quickly found its way into many of the Creole dishes that slaves were cooking for their white masters. Many West Africans who visit New Orleans today are surprised to find that the food shares so many similarities to what they eat back home. During the French and Spanish periods, the Code Nord, a French law, required a certain standard of living and nutrition be provided for slaves. But after becoming American, Many slaves were left to provide for themselves in addition to their work. These thickened stools were an easy way to stretch a small amount of food. Up ahead, make a left onto Bourbon Street and keep walking. While Bourbon Street has been associated with gambling, drinking, and brothels for a long time, it was once the city's premier residential district and made its own contributions to the culinary traditions of New Orleans. In the late 1800s, the quarter became an immigrant neighborhood first with the Italians and Sicilians, who moved here in the 1880s and folded our roux into traditional tomato sauce to make what we call red gravy. Bourbon Street was also home to the city's second Chinatown. After the Civil War, Chinese laborers came for the agricultural work left by the slaves that were now freed. But the harsh conditions forced many to find work they were more accustomed to, working with seafood in the marshland. The original Chinatown, one of the largest in the U.S., was not far from here, just outside the quarter. But in the 1930s, during the Depression, a federal urban renewal project was started and many Chinese lost their leases as the buildings they were in were torn down. Many moved to this part of the quarter. Continue walking toward the corner ahead. Cross Toulouse here and keep walking down Bourbon Street. This area became the new Chinatown, and by 1940, this entire block was bustling with Chinese-owned businesses. Do you see the green awning up ahead? Just before it, in between the Jazz and Jazz store and Southland gift shop, there will be a dark green door to your left. Stop in front when you find it. Stop here. Are you looking at the green door? See the faded lettering above? Chinese Merchants Association. While this is the only sign remaining of New Orleans' prominent Chinatowns, the Chinese contribution to our seafood industry was far-reaching. Let's keep moving while I tell you about it. The Chinese who moved to the bayou began implementing native techniques for drying the shrimp they were catching. This preservation has become so popular that it ended up being one of Louisiana's largest exports, as well as a new favorite ingredient for locals cooking. You guessed it, gumbo. Now, most people don't use dried shrimp in their stock anymore, but before refrigeration was an option, it was a really useful culinary innovation. 
Adding stock is a crucial part of making the gumbo, and it can drastically alter how it tastes. Stock helps thin out the gumbo so it doesn't get too thick. You want a stew or a soup, not a pudding, and too much okra or filet can run that risk. Take a left here at the corner. I want to show you a place almost as old as the gumbo, which is perfect because it's our next stop to try the dish. We're headed towards Antoine's Hermes Bar. It's up ahead and on the left. Keep walking until you get there. Just as New Orleans was being settled, a new way of eating was taking hold in France. It was called the restaurant. People had always eaten in their homes or in a tavern, where a single large meal would be cooked for guests. But around the 1760s, Paris restaurants started offering a la carte menus where you could order what you wanted. These first restaurants served bone broth, similar to the stocks I was just talking about. People thought these were healthy, and the word restaurant actually comes from the French word restorative. Let's stop here, under the sign for Antoine's Hermes Bar. In a moment, you're going to go inside and find a seat in the bar area. If you say you're with Detour, they'll serve you a taste of their gumbo for only $3. So order a cup and then press play so I can tell you more about this place. Okay, pause me to go inside. Okay, did you find a seat and order some gumbo? Antoine's has been owned by the same family since it opened in 1840. But it isn't just the owners who are multi-generational. Many of the waitstaff at Antoine's are also multi-generational, and they're serving customers who are multi-generational. This place is truly all in the family. I hope you're enjoying your gumbo. Antoine's gumbo is a seafood gumbo with blue crab, shrimp, and oysters. The dark roux has okra and filet in it. They use butter as the base for the roux and Creole tomatoes. And there's fish stock to lighten it and add flavor. By 1884, New Orleans had really embraced this Creole tradition and started to share it during the World's Fair that was being held here. A guidebook to the fair claimed that nothing tickles the palate, satisfies the appetite, is so nutritious or costs so little as the Creole gumbo. When Antoine first opened this restaurant, he kept inventing dishes and expanding the menu, including the gumbo. And by the 1880s, the dishes were more and more Creole influenced with turtle, redfish, gulf shrimp, and crabs. But the owners insisted on calling all of the food French, and the entire menu continued to be in French with no English translations up until the 1990s. And to this day, Antoine's is proud of its French and Creole traditions. Before you leave today, head into the main dining room to see pictures of the families who've been coming here to eat for generations. You can just ask someone to point you in the right direction. So pause me to finish your gumbo and check out the pictures. And when you're back outside, press play. I'll meet you there. Okay, hope you enjoyed that. With the door to your back, turn left and head to the corner. Remember the Brennan family, who I got my first thought with as a dishwasher? The Brennan family owns world-famous restaurants like Commander's Palace, Dickie Brennan's Steakhouse, and Mr. B's Bistro. But we're heading to the original, Brennan's. You might remember it as the origin of Bananas Foster. Keep walking towards the corner. Up at the corner, turn right and head down Royal Street. Look for the unmistakable pink building on your right. Head down the street towards Brennan's. As you're walking, 
You'll see a green awning with the name on it. Stop when you get there. Stop here, in front of Brennan's. You should be standing under the awning. We're going to go inside in a moment, but first, I want to introduce you to Patrick Brennan, who is Ralph Brennan's son and the sous chef of this landmark New Orleans restaurant. Hi, I'm Patrick Brennan. Brennan's, my family's namesake restaurant, has been here since 1956. When my great-uncle Owen owned the old Absinthe House on Bourbon Street, he was friends with Count Arno, a Frenchman who owned his namesake restaurant down the street. The Count used to tease my great-uncle that an Irishman could never run a fine restaurant. He claimed that Irish cooking skills stopped him boiling potatoes. So as a proud Irishman, my great-uncle bought the restaurant across the street. Fortunately for New Orleans, Count Arno was a bad judge of talent. In a moment, you can pause me and head inside. Tell the host that you're heading to the bar, or if that's full, the courtyard. Let them know you're with Detour and they should be expecting you. If it's really busy and there's a wait, just put your name on the list and stand here while I tell you my story. When you get settled, order a bowl of gumbo and press play. If you're here between 2 and 6 p.m., we don't serve gumbo, but don't fret. There's still a menu of small bites in the bar. And of course, Bananas Foster. Okay, press pause and head inside. Press play when you're settled. My great-uncle was proud of the restaurant he opened, but a lot of the original recipes were lost over the years, so we've been trying to recreate them and make them new again. Some of our older customers have brought in menus they took home in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and we've used them to reverse-engineer many dishes. As Chef Alfred told you earlier, Bananas Foster was invented here, but we also helped popularize the dark roux game and sausage gumbos that have become really popular in the city. Here at Brennan's, we've tried to strike a balance with our gumbo. We serve a filet gumbo with shrimp and oysters, but there's also andouille sausage in there. Andouille is a Cajun sausage made of smoked pork with garlic, pepper, onions, and wine in it. It's actually double smoked, with the pork being smoked before it's ground, and then the whole sausage smoked after it's stuffed. And I think it's delicious, and I hope you try some. It's been great telling you about Brennan's and our gumbo. Now I'm going to hand you back to Chef Alfred. Thanks, Patrick. The whole restaurant community here is like family. We all know each other, and just like family, we all argue over whose gumbo is better. But the truth is, dating all the way back to that banquet at the Cabildo, there are many, many delicious kinds of gumbo, and each one is influenced by the rich cultural history of this city. Gumbo is a bunch of different cultures thrown into a single pot to marry, and New Orleans is the same way. I hope you've had a great time walking and eating with me today, and I bet you're pretty full by now. But while you're in town, if you see gumbo on the menu, I want you to order it, because each one will be different. Then you've got to make your own recipe with all of your favorite ingredients. Bon appetit!